Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hello, everyone. We are Stephanie and Fox from Evolve Your Intimacy. Sitting in for Carol and David in this week's episode of the Sexy Lifestyle Podcast. Are you ready to spice up your sex life? Well, you've come to the right place because that is what the Sexy Lifestyle is all about. We are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. And we love talking about relationships, intimacy, sexuality, sexual health, sex, and pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, the unknown, and the undiscussed, and hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex, intimacy, and sexual health, because great sex matters, and we all deserve it. Have you been shamed for wanting to try BDSM? Or has a partner or even some of your friends told you that you're messed up in the head for wanting to learn more about BDSM? We have had several conversations about BDSM on our show, but we have never had a conversation with one of the pioneers of BDSM. Tonight, we are joined by award-winning sexologist, femme dom extraordinaire, Dr. Gloria Brame, where we're gonna be discussing the intriguing lifestyle of BDSM. We're gonna get advice on how to utilize some of these principles to help us overcome a sexual rut, and she's going to talk to us about where we need to begin before we actually start the practice of BDSM. Dr. Gloria Brame is an avid researcher of all things BDSM, a novelist with a magnitude of scholarly informational articles, and an award-winning sexologist. She states that she is a dedicated hero to the world of BDSM and human sexuality. I am so excited to get right into this juicy conversation with Dr. Gloria Brame. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. Let's just take a moment to talk about the top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex and no one wants to sleep in that wet spot. If you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need to own your own top waterproof blanket. It's 100% waterproof and leak proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness. Just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search T.O.P. Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T.O.P. Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. So this is Stephanie and Fox from Evolve Your Intimacy, and we are chatting with Dr. Gloria Brame about all things BDSM and human sexuality. Dr. Brame, welcome to our show, and thank you for uh, spending some time with us this evening. Well, thank you for welcoming me to your show and yes. inviting me. I really appreciate it. Well, so as a sexpert in BDSM, how would you define BDSM to um, a person or persons, people, that might have no knowledge of it except for what they see on TV, movies, social media, that type of stuff? Um, that the, for the most part, the fictionalized image of it is 
uh, about as, you know, close to the original as, you know, your typical movie that's made out of a book. You know, it's a glossy representation that does not actually draw from the ethos that makes BDSM what it really is. I mean, that makes BDSM BDSM. Sure. Because if you want to understand BDSM, it's really important that you also accept and embrace our fundamental concepts, which is that we are a consent-based culture. And I think most people, you know, they really confuse, you know, uh, you know, what they see on television, for example, a story where a man kidnaps a woman and enslaves her and tries to make her love him. Yes. You know, something like that. Yeah. No. uh we might as a fantasy want to play out a kidnap fantasy but you know even people when they do that they're the most detailed negotiated consenting and usually they are the idea of the person who wants to have it done to them as we all know there's a big difference between having a fantasy about being having your, your bodice ripped and being raped by someone, by Prince Charming, you know, and we wouldn't even call it, you know, conquest yeah. of the maiden, you know, in those kinds of terms, and the reality of rape. And I would say that for the most part, um, many people are very confused about that. I think that younger people have a more sensitive and dynamic approach to BDSM in that they don't see it as like this complete other thing that's fraught with danger. They just see, okay, that's an alternative thing. Let me learn a little bit about it or let me learn enough about it so that if I meet someone and they tell me they're into it, I can have a conversation, maybe even a relationship. Mm. I like that. You know, I do too. I like mm. that, that, that description of it. It's, it's not what we usually get. Usually it's, people just go directly into what it is and what it means but not that breadth of a right and you know i think that it's um i th- i think it's problematic when you try to describe who we are by specific things that we do because even with i mean certainly within the community the variations and the um, different approaches and the different minority groups um, within our communities, they have very different ways of living and expressing what BDSM is. Even though we have, what we try to do is convey core ethics like it should always be consensual, you should really negotiate it. If somebody tells you stop, you stop or you use a safe word Mm -hmm. and they stop at the safe word if you're on the bottom or you know there there's just a way of learning to be a good player that doesn't necessarily involve it may not involve how you use a whip or whether you ever tie somebody up you can be in a perfectly bonded bdsm you know dominant submissive relationship 
and never do bondage. Hmm. It sounds because very... Because it's not your thing. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. It's that simple, but it's still BDSM because it's alternative, unconventional, non-conventional sex. It doesn't rely on genital stimulation, which is what is what we call vanilla sex or conventional sex is really focused on genital pleasure. And BDSM is actually as much psychological pleasure as it is physical sensation for most people. Yeah. So I really focus on the psychology of obviously that's what my practice is about. I don't really in my practice tell people and you know, you know what you should do? You should put, you know, handcuffs on that guy and then build up to this thing. You know, for me, it's more like, what do you feel? What do they feel? What feels good? You have to explore and figure out what kind of sensations do you like? I, there is no magic formula for the kind of sex you'll have under the heading of BDSM. So question for you. Mm-hmm. It sounds very similar to, you know, alternative relationships, non-monogamy, where a lot of people like to either call you a swinger or polyamorous. And they love to use those two titles only, but there's so many different genres attached to that and ways to do Correct. things. So do you see BDSM as a positive act for those that, let's say, struggle with low self-esteem or even those who are survivors of abuse? And if you do, can you please explain that? Um, it's one of the, it, it can be. Everything really depends, you know, if you have very low self-esteem and you don't know you have low self-esteem or you're not, you know, you don't have a voice, that's really important and you identify as a submissive particularly, you're gonna end up in a lousy relationship probably because you're gonna end up with somebody who's too much for you. And that relationship might be emotionally abusive because if you don't have a voice, if you don't know what your rights, for example, as a submissive are, and you aren't able to have egalitarian conversations with them before you ever make any commitments. I mean, we're not just talking about, you know, for a night of play, everything is different. But if you're talking about forging relationships based on intimacy, which I think BDSM intimacy is kind of unparalleled, you know, it's a really wild uh, libertine uh, a state of giving yourself permission to be completely naked with somebody and really raw and emotionally raw, you know. Um, but you're not going to find that just through doing an act once, and you're not going to find that if you're not in a good place. It's like dominants who are really messed up and they come into the scene and they think as soon as they get into the scene, they, they've stepped into the magical kingdom and somehow they're better people. It's not true, you know, because they're masters or, you know, sirs, you know, meaningless, you know, anyone can call themselves whatever they want. It's like, you know, right? Nobody knows I'm a dog on the internet, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, you can call yourself whatever you want. Um, But the reality always comes down to, are you a good person who's doing this? 
not just are you a BDSM parent, but are you kind? Are you generous? Are you patient? Are you mature? Um, are you accepting and inclusive? You know, there's uh, all the same components that go into being a good person. If you have those components, you know, S&M can give you the tools to really grow mm-hmm. and to grow hugely as a person. Um, unfortunately, some people learn the hard way by having bad experiences, but you might say for them, quite often the journey was worth it because they learned. You know, when something went south, they learned. They had an army of friends, and we have a educational focus in the community. You can go to tons of classes. There are so many books out there just, you know, on Amazon. Just go with the ones that get high stars. and. They're usually going to be extremely informative about, you know, the value in aiming for something higher. Now, you ask specifically about people with low self-esteem. You got to be tough to be in the scene because there are a lot of, you know, it's just normal people. And what that means is they're good, they're bad, they're flawed, they're fantastic. I think we have a higher concentration of fantastic people because... I have a lot of friends whom I love that I've met over 40 years, and I think it's really pretty awesome how many great people there are. But they're narcissists. They're, you know, scam artists. I mean, it's just regular. It's just the world. Yeah. You know, and it's a growing percent of the world. You know, I mean, the community is so big that most people are not in the community anymore. Hmm. So like when I was coming out, you had to work hard to find a way to meet up, to find people who were like you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking a very, probably before, you know, you were born, but let's say (laughs) 35 years ago, which was when I got out into the scene, you know, there was like, one club, maybe two clubs. And if you wanted to meet someone, it was either trashy contact magazines or go to a club. And in fact, when I first got online, I was a very early adapter. And uh, in the 80s, I created an S&M support group. And most of the people came from places where they had never met anyone who was kinky or admitted to being kinky. Mm -hmm. And they felt so alone. And so they didn't know what to do or how to be or how to get it started, or they just had their fantasies, you know? And these days, 10 year old kids on the internet know what BDSM is. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, and then have friends who are into it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, it's very different. It's so, a very different world. So there's good and there's bad, you know. There is good and bad. And kind of going back to your first novel, Different Loving, is that how you were inspired to write it? Was because of your experience? Or tell us a little bit about what that is and maybe what, what I was inspired, inspired you. I was inspired to write Different Loving after doing like two or three years running a group and then becoming a peer counselor. Um, because it seemed to me, 
like, I always knew something was really weird and quirky about me. And I was just one of those people who, when I realized finally at the age of 29, I accepted Mm -hmm. that I was one of them, you know, those weird motherfuckers. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. But I was actually one of them. I really liked all that stuff. And oh my God, there was a place for me. And, you know, for me, it was like, that's it. This is, I really have never looked back. Mm -hmm. I have only dated and I'm not going to say only socialized because I still have all my old friends from high school too, you know, but not all of them. I mean, but I have friends that go back to my childhood and, uh, but I love the community and I love m- many of my closest friends are part of that world. And uh, it's a very comfortable and kind place unless you bump into bad people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm wandering a lot, but I, I really did want to get back to what you had asked earlier many of us feel that we we call the S&M experience for us, the long-term experience, our journey. Because we most of us come into it feeling, if not broken, at least lost or cut off from regular society because of who we are. We may have gone through a lot of criticism or scorn or been rejected by partners. Some of us may have been abused. Some of us may have had low self-esteem. Some of us had both. Mm. Some of us had very dysfunctional families. And what we find is that learning to appreciate the meaning of power, how people abuse it, but how they can also use it for the good, or how even sensation can wake them up from what from feeling almost nothing in bed because they just weren't wired that way. Um, For them, and I'm one of those people, um, it becomes an incredibly profound journey because you're constantly learning and growing and you're not afraid of change. You embrace change. Well, there's some really good information, and we will be right back with Dr. Brame talking about BDSM after this commercial break. Now, let's just take a minute and talk about Topless Travel and the amazing trip that we have planned for next year. So we were just with Topless Travel on the Bliss Cruise, and we were with them at Hedo, and they are absolutely the best. If you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you simply have to book with Topless Travel. From Hedonism 2 in Jamaica, Desire in Cancun, and all the Bliss Cruise experiences, Topless Travel needs to be your number one choice. Yeah, their trips and events are all about the people and the sexy fun experiences. So let's just give a quick shout out to all their sexy host couples, including Jessica and Justin, and of course, Party Mark. And they're there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. Absolutely. And you will find us on many of the amazing Topless Travel trips. But listen up. The one that we're really looking forward to is the Bliss Cruise on the awesome Celebrity Summit on April 17th to 22nd, 2023. We're going to be there broadcasting live from the ship and all the cabins are selling out quickly. So book now. Come and join us for the week. We'd love to meet you there. 
And of course, for all that information and for more about the, any trip and all the topless travel events, you can go to thesexylifestyle.com and click the topless travel events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. And welcome back. You're listening to Stephanie and Fox with Evolve Your Intimacy. And we are talking with Dr. Brame, talking all things BDSM. So, Dr. Brame, we know that you testified in a landmark case called Nitke versus Ashcroft. And what that is, is the it's a previous Telecommunications Act of 1996 that they now call the Communications Decency Act. And this created a criminal cause of action against those who knowingly transmit obscene or indecent messages as determined by, quote, local community standards to any recipient under the age of 18 years of age. It also prohibited any sending knowingly or displaying of offensive messages containing sexual activity or sexual organs to any type of minor. Now, the plaintiff, Barbara Nitke, argued that the use of local community standards to determine whether a content was obscene was an infringement of her First Amendment rights as online content is shared in a global community and is constantly changing within various standards. Are you able and are you free to elaborate on what occurred and why this was such an important case? Um, you know, it was the Fosta Sesta of its day, if you will. It was one of many attempts by anti-sex conservative forces to suppress discussion and imagery of human sexuality. Um, I call it porn, everybody calls it porn, but I don't consider porn to be pornographic. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's just people having sex in a lot of interesting different ways, being filmed. That's it. This whole, you know, no one has ever succeeded in really defining what obscenity is and what it was clearly was censorship. So I would say this was a case where a government body and the very people who are always crying about, you know, second amendment, I really have no zero respect for the first amendment when it comes to human sexuality. Talk about war, talk about death, talk about violence, talk about rape, talk about anything, but not loving sex, not mutually consensual sex. I'm all for banning non-consensual violent sex, but two adults who are having fun, regardless of their gender or orientation, why is everyone afraid of that? Or rather, why are a large segment of the population, or at least the people in power, why are they so afraid of it? What do they think will happen to people if they look at sex? I can tell you what happens to people who watch a lot of violence, but really the preponderance of evidence on what people call uh, pornography and what I call erotica is that uh, it's fine for adults. It doesn't hurt them. And in its effect on married couples, it actually 
kind of an enhancement. If they're both watching together, I'm not talking about, you know, your typical scenario where dad is locked in the basement, you know, ignoring the families to because he can't get his eyes off the computer. I'm talking about how it's usually actually experienced, which is by sex loving adults who have a good time. Hmm. It's, you know, it's the kind of thing that can drive a sexologist crazy, but you know, we all know what we're up against and we are rapidly censored. Yeah. And, and the thinking was Barbara Nitke is a, an erotic photographer. She became well known for having taken photo stills, I believe of people in the sex industry. And I think sometimes, you know, uh, in the BDSM community, you know, mm-hmm. and not only she exhibited her work in galleries, but she also had uh, work on her website. So the idea was with a law like that, it wasn't going to just impact the porn industry. It was going to impact all the artists who photograph, draw, write about sex. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a terrifying notion that you would live in such a, that there are people who want to establish a totalitarian state when it comes to sex. So true. Yeah. So, so very true. And so using this as a catalyst i'm gonna completely switch subjects on us i guess so okay for our listeners can you describe what you would call a sex rut and maybe share some of the methods that you help your clients or you use with your clients to help them get unstuck and i and i'm I'm, this question came to me right after because of my thinking porn helps people get things unstuck sometimes but i'm Mm -hmm. gonna let you answer that as well yeah um you're speaking of couples who are together rather than let's say single people i would i would say anybody anybody in in a sex anybody yeah you know because like single people fall into i think everybody can very easily single or actually in a couple fall into kind of periods of not pursuing sex at all or not feeling like it or not wanting it or swearing off it Mm -hmm. or claiming that they're recuperating from their last relationship you know and again it's we raise people in this culture to think that sex is this exceptional act that must be saved for only very special occasions like with a spouse under the right circumstance like you have to do it on your honeymoon or it isn't you aren't really married but on the other hand when you're 50 maybe you should stop doing it because that's for the young you know all these crazy um expectations that load people down and i think people really believe that it's better for them to not have sex Mm. sometimes and i know the science and the science says the opposite the science says a vibrant sex life and intimacy 
uh, help you live longer, stronger, with fewer diseases, better immune systems, better cardiovascular systems. You know, we are the only species that get into this gigantic struggle when to allow ourselves to have sex and in what ways we allow ourselves to have sex. Um, why? Religion, government, interference in our lives, the way people control us. I mean, it gives them control over us to take away, you know, to make the internet non-sexy. Hmm. Why? Because it offends people who are not having enough. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know but So how do you get out of a rut? Let's say you have just dipped into that kind of thing where you think suddenly it's, it's better this way, you know, because sex is weird or hard or... I feel, and what I always encourage people to do is to seek intimacy and to make sex a conscious, a conscious choice. A conscious choice for your mental health, a conscious choice for feeling alive and part of life, you know, and feeling like you're still in the game and that it is an essential component of intimacy in a marriage. Now, how you define sex may change, particularly if you get older or you have disability or whatever, but there still needs to be touching and kissing and hopefully orgasms of some kind in some fashion, you know? And it doesn't matter how. You know, the orgasm itself is really beneficial uh, to the human body. And I think people really need to think about sex as, a, you know, you're wired for it. It's a critical component of life. Nothing else feels as good as being held and kissed and touched. Hmm. You know, and having an orgasm is pretty great. So I work with people who have all different kinds of reasons for having fallen out of sexual passion with their partner. Sometimes it's really a red flag that there's something serious going on in the relationship and they need to get counseling to figure out what that is. Sometimes people finally come to realize they're sexually incompatible. And that's a very difficult bridge to cross. If you're genuinely, you know, one person wants to have sex five times a week, one person wants to have it one time a month. How do you bring those two together and at least allow both of them to feel like they're not making gigantic compromises? You know, hmm. um, I don't do big classes. I do all my work one on one for this very reason is that I can teach you broad lessons about sex, but when it comes to the particulars, you're unique, your partner is unique, and you're combining two unique energies. And if you really want to succeed, you're going to have to put a little work in. 
I know that a lot of our clients, when we get into discussions of alternative relationships or kink, BDSM, fetishes, etc., we have to break down mm-hmm. the difference between what a sexual fetish is versus what a sexual kink is. So for our listeners that may not be familiar, how do you define a sexual fetish and how does that differ from a sexual kink? Um, A sexual kink can be almost any alternative thing that you can think of. It doesn't have to, you know, it could be, it's funny because a lot of kinks are fetishes for some people and for other people they're not fetishes they're just fun things they might occasionally enjoy doing so let's take spanking okay most BDSMers or maybe a lot of BDSMers give or receive spankings spanking is a pretty routine part of most people's repertoire but not, you know, but probably the most popular, I would say. Um, and the same for bondage. Now, there are people, however, who are spanking fetishes. So the difference would be that's their primary source of excitement and arousal. They're not necessarily into bondage or wearing outrageous, you know, like wearing leather clothes they're not into leather you know when again 30 years ago you know there was a spanking community and there still is you know there's a spanking community but i mean we were really separate camps we they were not part of the bdsm world now i think today everybody agree they're just part of the bdsm world but fetishes fetishists are people who really like to have either certain acts like spanking or bondage or fancy footwear, you know, or foot worship, you know, if they have a foot fetish, you know, those are the things that they really need to achieve their greatest highs, you know, their greatest emotional and erotic pleasure. Um, Whereas a kinky person might do all of that and a lot more but doesn't feel like it has to be every time. So I really I really appreciate how you just defined that. And now my inquisitive brain, because as a sex therapist, I know I have got some very um, interesting sexual fetish stories, but have you encountered any individuals that had particularly interesting sexual fetishes? And if you have, um, can you share those with us I'm within... Uh, Compliance. Compliance. Thank you. I couldn't think of that word. Oh, yeah, that's easy because I'd never <laughs> mention names and, you know, but there was a gentleman who came to me because he had a very unusual fetish, which was he had a fetish for seeing a woman step on a foot brake in an old fashioned car. That's interesting. And he had this particular car in the garage. And his wife was not very happy about having to do that for him because it involved, I mean, it was very specific. She had to wear stockings. She had to wear high heels. She had to sit in the car and it was a kind of brake system that 
was like in a 1940s car or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So that was very tough because it was a really rare fetish and very hard to find partners to fulfill. And he was married and didn't want to cheat anyway. And his wife just grew tired of it and it just weirded her out. On the other hand, I had another gentleman who had a fascinating fetish to me, which was he loved to, he wanted desperately to see his wife in a dunk tank and see her feet fly up as she went down, you know, like at the sure, yeah, the at, circus at type fair, thing. Yeah. At a state fair. Yeah. And uh, his wife did not mind. Okay. Well, I guess that was good for him. Yeah. That's definitely interesting. Yeah, but he didn't understand that she would go along with it. He had built it up in his head because this is the problem with fetish people sometimes. He had built it up in his head as like the worst thing and he couldn't really ask her and he couldn't really tell her. And, you know, it was just stressing him out to the max. But that was his thing. That, and I have never met anyone with that fetish, but I had read about that fetish. Hmm. And all fetishists actually have very similar personal evolutions when they grow up, which is they start noticing probably, you know, when they're kids, they really have an attachment to a particular act or a particular article of clothing. And in their teens, when they start masturbating, they start thinking back to that. And in their later teens, they realize that they're really weird because all the other uh, boys and girls are looking at other people's asses and genitals or breasts and saying, oh, look, I've heard men, male fetishists say this to me. Every almost every single one when i was in high school all the other boys in gym were like oh look at those hunkers and i was like oh look at her feet you know (laughs) (laughs) so i knew something was wrong with me you know and uh in their 20s they usually go through a stage of thinking it would go away once they got married that the sex would replace all their fantasies and then discovering that that's not at all what happens. And uh, then it comes down to what kind of choices do you make as an adult? Particularly if you married someone who never will accept your fetish. Hmm. Speaking of fetishes, kink, BDSM, what are your thoughts on societal progression overall regarding human sexuality? Do you think we've come a long way? Do you think we haven't come very far or do you think we're still stuck to where we were we just look at it and call it something different well compared to the victorians we're way ahead of the game compared to the free love movement in the 1920s we're behind the game compared to, you know what i mean sure yeah compared right it's it's like History cycles. Uh, How are we now? Well, for the first time ever, at least 
for the first time ever, we have the internet. So what that has changed is global consciousness of unconventional sex lifestyles and global participation, which rises above local culture and local religion. So maybe this is going to be permanent. But remember, it wasn't that long ago that we had a president who seemed to be rolling back all kinds of rights. And I won't say that he was sex negative, but his policies were. And so many of us in the sexual, you know, I mean, in the sex activists and sexual freedom communities, you know, we're watching our friends be harmed by all that stuff. And when I say friends, I mean everybody from people in the trans community and the LGBT community and um, sex workers. I mean, we're all friends with sex workers, you know? Hmm everybody in the sex communities, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, and these people were really being hideously oppressed all of a sudden, again. But I'm old, so I also remember free love in the 60s. But then I remember how sad it got after that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'm hopeful that the internet has opened a door that can never be shut. We are sitting here talking with Dr. Gloria Brame about all things BDSM and human sexuality, and we will be back after this message from our sponsors. Ladies, are you ready to take your intimacy to the next level? Head over to EvolveYourIntimacy.com to learn more about intimacy, relationships, and sex counseling. And gentlemen, do you need a little bit more? Head over to our website to learn tips on how to communicate with that special someone and ignite that flame. If you enjoy our content and guests and would like to help us grow, go to our website, EvolveYourIntimacy.com to follow, like, subscribe, and comment on all of our social media accounts. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back. You're listening to Evolve Your Intimacy with Stephanie S. Fox, speaking to Dr. Gloria Brame about all things BDSM and sexuality. So, Dr. Brame, you have said actually twice now, um, that you're old and I don't believe that because <laughs> you've seen a lot. I think I feel I, I choose to believe you're seasoned in this, uh, lifestyle in this world. And you've seen a lot of changes throughout your time from being an expert witness to actually living it and just making some huge movements in society. And you are on the board of governors of the leather hall of fame. Okay, so the Leather Hall of Fame. Can you share with our listeners what this is and what that means? Because I think it's fantastic. I, I stepped down from the board last year. but um, And I also served a couple of years on the Woodhull Freedom Foundation. And um, the uh, Leather Hall of Fame is a small organization that's devoted to recognizing the pioneers in the BDSM SM leather fetish communities, usually 
people who founded clubs, people who founded organizations, people who um, were important figures to a lot of other people, who were mentors to people. So they do three inductions a year. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do. They they select the best of the best. It's voted on. They're new, you know, there'll be like 50 or 60 candidates every year. And they narrow it down to three people who they feel must be included now. It's really, you know, since a lot of uh, a lot of nominees are elderly or have been around for a long time, um, you know, sometimes there's a little haste in making sure that they get an opportunity to enjoy their recognition while they're still alive. Yeah. So, but um, it is very serious, uh, a very serious undertaking. And it's uh, a board of activists, scholars, activists and scholars, and academics. There's a common misconception about the Leather Society and how people, I love how you just said academics and scholars, because people automatically assume, oh, if you're in the leather community, you're just some biker, you know, some bar fly type deviant. Yeah. And, you know, we're very sober, actually. (laughs) And it's not, but you, you had said, you had mentioned that the leather community was the pioneers for the BDSM. Can you, can you tell us just a little bit more about that? Well, at one time, the leather community was really a uh, primarily gay and with representation from lesbians as well. And they really created the beginnings, like their activism, their recognition that, and it, it really kind of, there were whispers of it before, but it really got a lot of impetus from Stonewall and what happened with the gay movement. And that was when BDSM people started to say, you know, we're only in this because it makes us happy and we're doing it with love for partners we care about. And we're sick of the stereotype that we're all uh, low-life criminals who do this to hurt and abuse other people. That's not at all what we're about. And a lot of it came because it was prompted in a great part by what was happening in the gay world. Um, A lot of foundational um, creators of leather were gay. And they established their own little traditions according to clubs like things dominant say and ways submissives behave, but they were making it up. But they contribute enormously to building a sense of brotherhood and now sisterhood as well. Um, And stressing that since we are who we are and we're so radically different from the straight world, we need to band together to protect ourselves. We need to band together and commune together and interact with each other 
and create our own world, our own little bubble where we were safe. And to enter that world, you usually had to know somebody or you had to know the club and you had to establish yourself. And some of the biggest contributions that they made were things like the very concept of sane, safe and consensual, for example, um, which was the banner under which we all flew for. Now there are lots of different new kinds of forms of consent as consent has become a larger conversation over the years. But we had the first conversations. You know, we came up with the concept of safe words. Now everybody knows what they are. There's a lot of BDSM leather stuff that's drifted into the mainstream, you know, that people don't even realize origin originated. And um, leather is still leather. It's, it's people who really like wearing black leather mm. and also love the ethos of the leather community, which includes things like being ethical, being honorable, being of service to other people. Even if you're a top, you know, you are in service to your community, making yourself available and um, helping as many people as you can. And that part of leather is glorious to me. I, I would know. agree. Yeah, I that's try very hard. Yeah. And today leather is everybody. You know, you don't have to be a gay man. You can be a trans woman and be as leather as anybody. But it's those principles of being honorable, accepting, serving your community. That's over. I, I, well, I mean, that's huge compared to what people automatically assumed they were or what they represented based off of what they were wearing. Yeah, it's very interesting because it's always been a community that is filled with philosophy, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot of deep thought given to, because, you know, it's like I wrote a piece recently about like, learning about power through BDSM, learning about how people use power and power over you, learning about how you give up. You know, we are trained in the conventional world to surrender power to anyone who identifies as an authority. In the BDSM world, we hopefully will surrender power to someone who proves him or herself to be trustworthy and deserving of owning that power. You know, it's not about, I'm a master, therefore kneel. You know, it's sexy and it's hot, but that's not for a relationship, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's not, mm -hmm. you don't kneel for every master. If you do, who are you? You know, you learn about who's really worth it and who you really want to be with and who you want your friends to be, and how to not be abused in the conventional world, how to not give your power away. And I think those are incredible lessons on I, the nature of reality, really. Yeah. And no. the nature of the self, you know? Yeah, I agree. I just, I'm, I'm so like invested in this conversation that it's right. No, I, I actually, I really like the way you said that because 
not so much these days, but but about ten years ago, I used to be into dominant submissive type play, and a big part of me educating a submissive was trying to explain to them you actually have the control. You are giving mm-hmm. me permission to behave and act out these these things, these ways, what have you, um, all based off of a contract and, and an agreement, which really means you hold the power. And that was really hard to explain that to some people because they would just look at me and go, but wait a minute, but but I'm the one submitting. Right, you're the one submitting, giving me permission to do so and vice versa. Um, and it was interesting trying to explain that sometimes yeah. um, because I would just get mm-hmm. a deer in the head. And it's, books. you know, a, a lot of my friends would say, for example, that it isn't just safe saying consensual. Mm-hmm. You should also be eager. Yes. Eager for the experience. And I can say that as a dominant, if I don't feel that the submissive is really eager, I'm not interested. I mean, I thrive on the energy of somebody who really compliments my energy. I want to be invasive. They want to be invaded. You know, I want to do this. That's what they always dreamt of having done to them. Then you have, you know, really beautiful, deep experiences with somebody because people call it a power flow or a power exchange. And the power exchange is really that the submissive brings a lot of energy to the table. And if you have to convince them to do it, uh, for me, that's just a turnoff. Yeah. So what tips can you offer beginners who want to expand their horizons or become more sexually open, um, but they just don't know where to start? I think it always comes from within the self. You know, you can't think about what somebody else is expecting of you and then try to turn yourself into that person, you need to think about what you're really hoping to get out of it. Do you want to finally take that stick out of your butt and give up control to somebody? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) and just surrender the way that you've always fantasized about surrendering, you know, and, and allowing somebody to do these outrageous things to you that you've always dreamt of them doing. You know, are you ready to take that step? You have to know that within yourself. You can't, you know, if you approach it with the attitude of, well, I'll see how it goes and how they treat me and if it works out right. That's not what it's about. I would say that for that reason, I think like a lot of submissives, new submissives really struggle with their feminism. How can I be a feminist? and submit to a man, for example. But the reality is you have to be driven to have your sexual needs met. Not to just throw yourself out there into the wild, say, I'm a submissive, do what you want with me. That's a horrible way to begin. Begin with what you really, really, really want and crave. And I knew as a dominant, for example, I knew the minute I started doing it that I was in the right place because this was stuff I hadn't framed it the way people framed it in the BDSM world my first couple of years. That was eye-opening. 
I didn't realize people would like show up already and roll and be doing it, you know, in mm-hmm. public spaces. But pretty much like the idea for me of like tying a guy up was fantastic. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. And the fact that there were guys who were dying for me to tie them up, you know, I was so aroused. I couldn't believe it, you know, because in the past when I had timidly requested of boyfriends that we try kinky things, I usually got a quick no. Yeah. Well, I don't want to open that can of worms, you know, or something like that. <laughs> you know, and I, and it was sad and I would feel bad and then I'd feel ashamed and I'd never mention it again. So um, I would say that you have two people who are in control. I think it's a commitment on both sides. I never felt that my my subs could control me by simply not being enthusiastic or being cranky or unwilling or, you know, something like that. Then I don't I don't want that energy. Yeah. You know, then I feel creepy and abusive. Mm-hmm. And that's not I mean, I'm doing this for fun and joy and hopefully great orgasms and big blissful faces and smiles, you know, Um, I'm not doing it to make somebody sad or miserable. Yeah. Hmm. I'm doing it to fulfill mutual fantasies. And um, I think that's where you begin is know what your own fantasy is and then find somebody who has complimentary set of fantasies. I think that's a, a great a great place to start, yeah, honestly. Yeah, I think that's a great starting point. So, Dr. Brain, tell us or tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find out more about you, maybe the books that you've written. The My home is my website, which has been in gone through many different mutations since 1996 (laughs) but I started web uh, my first website was 1996 same address Gloria G-L-O-R-I-A Brame B-R-A-M-E dot com and from there they can link to and uh, you know link to all my books find all my books read my free blog sign up for my free newsletter Um, I'm on Facebook as Dr. Gloria Brame. I'm on Twitter as Dr. Gloria Brame. And I'm on LinkedIn as Dr. Gloria Brame. So I am super easy to find. Just Gloria Brame in Google and it pops you'll get right a up. ton of links. Yep. Yeah. It pops right up. Yeah. Well, Dr. Brame, we appreciate you having on our show. And I hope you had as much fun as we did. I know I definitely learned some new things I myself. Learned a lot. Yeah. And well, so. cool. Thank you. That's I'm I'm honored by that. Absolutely. She's a very interesting lady. She she's done a lot. She has done a lot. In in I mean, yeah. It's just uh There's so many avenues that very, I want to talk to her about. So many I, different I think things. You should do it. <laughs> I my, my, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to cut you off, but my brain is going crazy because she she's actually lived it. Yeah. Well, lived it, advocated for it. Fought for it, it. Fought for it. Pioneered it. Yep. Been on the boards. She's yep. got the t-shirt. 
Like legitimately. And the postcard. Absolutely. And the stamp. So. And the water jug. Okay, you done? And the beer. There you go. (laughs) But it's just her, her knowledge of, I don't, I guess I didn't understand the, the vast knowledge that she had until we started talking to her. Hmm. That happens sometimes. Because you can research people and yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's written a lot of books and yeah, you're thinking, oh yeah, you know, that's cool. But when you start talking to them and you hear that passion and you hear that intensity in their voice and you realize that this is their life, mm-hmm. this is not just a book they've written, that is powerful to me. Yeah. Well, and I think it just means so much more mm-hmm. because it's not something they just have written based off of their education or research. It, this is based off of her life. What she's experienced, what she's fought for, what she's researched, what she's lived. I mean, the whole, everything. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Also, if you have not picked up or logged into or logged on to ASNLifestyleMagazine.com, we are the featured couple this month and we are on the cover. I've always wanted to be on the cover of a magazine. We're the featured couple or featured business or both? Both. Hmm. So inside of that article, you can learn all about Stephanie and I, how we met, um, our evolution into the lifestyle, how our business got created, how it went from the kinky coach to Stephanie and Fox to now evolve your intimacy, Mm -hmm. right? And all those fun things. And there's some sexy pictures in there. There may or may not be one or two or five or 17 boudoir pictures. They're not all boudoir, but they're they're very sexy. Yeah. So, speaking of ASN, um, ASN does ASN Lifestyle Awards. So, if you go to voteasnawards.com, we've been nominated for Best of Educator, Best New Business, Best Educator Website, Best Supporting Business, Best Entertainment Podcast, and Best Social Media Influencer. That's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. Uh, we are very humbled by all the nominations. We're very excited that we were nominated for all six and that we made the finals for all six. So, again, if you go to asnawards.com and you vote specifically, once again, for best educator, best new business, best educator website, best supporting business, and best entertainment podcast, and best social media influencer, we just hope to win one. I just want I'm to win. just glad we're nominated. Yeah, like I'm, people I, know us. Well, I'm glad we're nominated, <laughs> but I would like to win at least one. Uh, you can vote twice a day. Mm-hmm. So please do so. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We would greatly appreciate it. If you like what we do, let us know. Yeah. And if you're more interested in learning more and, or you just like our podcast, we also have blogs and articles on our website, evolveyourintimacy.com. And you can learn everything there, uh, including if you're interested in coaching or guidance or counseling, you Mm -hmm. can sign up there as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Lots of free, fun stuff. We are all about educating people in the lifestyle or not in the lifestyle, just educating people about sex. Sex, sex, and more sex. There you have it. All right, friends, tune in again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health, and, of course, pleasure. Oh, and all the fun ways that you can spice up your sex life. Well, that's it for our show today. On behalf of Carol and David, we are Stephanie and Fox from Evolve Your Intimacy, sending you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe, and, of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you.
you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. We'll be right back. 